So Patty, I was really excited about our episode today with Ray Zach talking about restaurant revitalization. Oh, that was so cool, James. I got to tell you, that's one of the coolest interviews I think we've done in a while because what a plan he has there. And it's, it's, it's a winner for restaurants. It's a winner for ISOs and agents. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, tell us about the uh, Insiders Report. Well, I wanted to give everybody sort of a peek at what's expected for year-end uh, holiday spending, and and uh, it looks really good. Looks like uh, those uh, residual checks are are going to be fat at the beginning of next year. Yeah. And then well, you had a really informative uh, question from the field that you took. You want to give everybody a hint about that? I do, sure. So we talk about cash discounting and surcharging compliance, um, specifically with cash discounting. We talk about kind of the three legs of compliance being the court cases and free speech. We talk about visa rules and we talk about the Durban Amendment and how these three things uh, relate to each other when it comes to compliance. Yeah, yeah, really good. So uh, our uh, episode today is sponsored by NMI. Um, You can uh, see them on the web at nmi.com. Um, anything else you want to say about that, James? Not at all, but uh, you could run over to even ccsalespro.com slash NMI. Right. We even have a special landing page there where you can request more information. So we love NMI. They've been a great partner. We're so excited to have them as our sponsor. And I'm ready to dive into this exciting episode today. Let's go. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey, everybody. So Patty and I are here with my good friend, Ray Zach, who is the CEO at Simple Pay. How are you doing today, Ray? Good, James and Patty. How are you guys? Doing, Doing wonderful. Yeah. So I'm really excited about the topic. Me. Yeah. I, I think today's topic is one that we really have never covered on here, which is going to be cash discounting on restaurants as well as cash grants, marketing. So really talking about restaurant revitalization. It's no secret that restaurants have been struggling in a serious way, especially smaller independents. Um, and so we've, we are, we're all aware of that in our industry. So Ray, I thought we could start today with your story. Give us a little background. And, and most importantly, I want to focus on your personal experience in this restaurant space. I think it's so unique. So tell us a little bit about your story so we can set some context. Sure, sure. Well, thank you. Well, February of last year, my daughter and I, we decided we were going to open a family restaurant. And this is right before the pandemic was a pandemic. And then, of course, it exploded upon us. Right. So we had our grand opening November 20th, and we've been going strong ever since. But what I wanted to do was put a family restaurant together because I have a culinary background. I love to cook. My five kids and my 10 grandkids love to come to grandpa's. And, you know, this is just something that was a passion of mine, something I very much love. And, you know, the family was a great opportunity to have the family in an environment where we could all work together sure. and all share our success. That mm-hmm. was really the driving factor of opening Zach's Bar and Grill. The issue was the pandemic hit. Right. And that changed things. So yeah. it was a very interesting, uh, you know, position to be in. And uh, it really never slowed us down per se, but we were very persistent in the way that we managed the restaurant, you know, based on my my payments background and so forth. Right. So I think it's such an interesting um, experience, right? Because, you know, I don't know if there's very many CEOs of national processing companies who also have a family restaurant that launched right. right the pandemic. <laughs> so, right. Kind of a, right. Yeah, I think he's pretty fun. unique that way, yeah. right? Yeah. Hey, just if I can ask a, a quick question, because, you know, I, I'm i familiar with what you're doing in, in the restaurant area right now, but has this been like a, a focus for you from your payment processing profession? 
I mean, where did, you know, or was it just that, hey, I'm going to open this family restaurant and because I'm a payment processing for, uh, person, I know how to get the, you know, the best uh, for, you know, bang for my buck. You know, Patty, it's an interesting story. Uh, I love to go to brunch on the weekends and uh -huh. I was traveling down in my area. There's really no places to go to brunch, if you will. There's like a Denny's or what have you. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. then we have to go to downtown Sacramento and you got to deal with the parking problems and everything else. Uh -huh. So it was funny. I'm in my SUV driving down and I like, I see the uh, old Hooters building for <laughs> <laughs> the last five years. And I said, you know what? I'm going to open a family restaurant because I want to be local and go to brunch. And uh -huh. that's the craziness part about it. So it just evolved ever since then. But also okay. because of my background in the culinary field, you know, I kind of had that perseverance with uh, with that. And it just it just kind of all made sense. And at the time I was in a position in my life that, you know, my company is doing extremely well. And it's time to uh, kind of do something, give something back, if you will. Yeah, sure. Yeah, great. I love it. Great. I love it. So we're going to talk today uh, about three really specific things that restaurants can do, and even more specifically, things that payment professionals can help restaurants do that are going to help them in the same way that Ray basically helped his own restaurant uh, to right. survive and even thrive through the pandemic. We're going to talk about cash discounting. We're going to talk about cash grants. And we're going to talk about turnkey marketing solutions. But before we dive into that, I do want to just mention here that Ray and I just released, um, like this is the release right here because then tomorrow we'll send an email out, but we just released a new ebook called Restaurant Revitalization. It's part of our Merchant Sales Insight uh, online e-magazine series that we're doing every week. Um, and you can find that. I set up a special link for it. It's at ccsalespro.com slash restaurant ebook. So it's all lowercase, no spaces, no dashes, just ccsalespro.com slash restaurant ebook. So if you want to learn more about this, definitely check that out. It's a free download that Ray and I worked on together. So along those lines, Ray, let's let's just dive right in and talk about cash discounting. You know, sure. restaurants have kind of been, you know, ignored by this for a while. Talk to us about this. Why is this the right time in your mind for restaurants to begin embracing cash discounting and for ISOs and agents to start presenting it to them? Well, I think the the problem in the restaurant business is it's just one of the commodities that, hey, you're going to pay processing fees. It's just one of the things, you know, 95% of your revenue is on card. But cash discounting works in not every environment, as you guys know, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to look at your average ticket. It's very precise. Sure. It has right. to be very, very uh, like in my environment, we're about $65 is our average ticket. So the impact is what, $2.40, something like that. Mm -hmm. It's a small, minuscule amount. Um, but what it did for us was give us the the money that we would have paid to my own processing company, even at zero base points, if you will, right? Right, right. But on average, think about a restaurant. In my restaurant, we do about 80000 a month in card. And say a restaurant's at two seven five, it's about twenty two hundred dollars a month in card fees. Right, that is a substantial burden for that restaurant, especially trying to pull yourself out of the pandemic and continue to survive. Mm -hmm. So it was a no brainer, but it had to be meticulously thought out. So it has to work properly and be within visa rules and regulations and so forth, proper signage and and so on. Right. So it's very, very important to kind of look at things a little bit different as a payment processor professional 
and educate the merchants with the non-cash adjustment, cash discounting philosophy. Right. Again, as you guys mm -hmm. know, it doesn't work in every environment. So right. it's just an education to the merchants. That's how I believe it really was working. And then if they can understand that they can free up $2,200 in my case a month that I could use for marketing to increase my sales. Right. That's what it was all about. It was a transition in how I spent my own processing dollars. Right. And that's right. educating the merchants as well. It's a, I call it a shifting in the fees, if you will. You're mm -hmm. still paying the fees, but you're also gaining tremendous opportunities with marketing and, and all kinds of, uh, you know, the revitalization grants that we have and, you know, everything else that we put in place to help the merchants. If, if you don't mind, Ray, I was wondering, I mean, it's, it, I, my understanding is that restaurants have always been a kind of a difficult sell for cash discounting because of the issues around tips, you mm -hmm. know, correcting the right amount, you know, the right cash adjustment revenue. Um, you know, um, did, how did you how did you address this? Did you just go with a pay at the table solution um, or does the restaurant eat the processing fee on the tip? So um, we do it both ways, actually. Um, okay. It just depends because we have it's about a 5000 square foot restaurant. So we have a large bar area and so forth. Mm -hmm. So we do pay at the table. Um, you know, we do, a, you know, a chip and brost. And then what that does is gives you the opportunity to have tip suggestions and so forth. And it's all done without with that methodology. Gotcha. We originally started in the traditional manner with paper. And what we were able to utilize at that point, because the impact is so minuscule because of the the, uh, the check amount, it really made no impact. Honestly, it was an odd scenario because, you know, we have many, many restaurants in our portfolio and we were looking at the data to see in that transition where that adjustment takes. And we were able to solve it through batching processes and running it on particular equipment and so forth. Yeah. So we utilize it in both manners. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's definitely one of those things. I was talking to a, um, uh, I'm doing consulting right now for a point of sale company that only does high-end restaurants and they're doing cash discounting. And, you know, I told them on the very first call I had with them, I said, you know, it's so interesting because three years ago, if you would have reached out to me and said, we want you to consult us on helping our point of right. sale system for restaurants do cash discounting, I would have said, keep your money. You know, right. no, that's not a good vertical, Right. Right. right now it's like i'm wondering where are the verticals that don't work for cash discounting like you know it's, it's every day there's like a different one or even surcharging it's like i'm seeing it's like either compliance surcharging or cash discounting is working for everybody just about uh there's still some really high ticket ones and some really small ticket ones that are kind of problematic but uh, by and large it's it's going really really well so i i agree i think this is definitely a, a time to look at cash discounting i know we talk a lot more about that in the ebook so I right. want to move on to the cash grants because this is something that's very unique. Our audience knows everything about cash discounting. They're, they're very aware of it. So let's talk about cash grants because I think this is actually something really unique. I've never heard anybody in our industry talk about doing this in, in exactly the same way. And I know you have a couple of different types of grants, Ray. So tell our audience about these cash grants, how they work and, and how these businesses can gain access to these cash grants when they're working with Absolutely. you. Absolutely. You know, we're, we're happy to offer these, you know, with our partners uh, that we have uh, nationwide. There's a couple of different ways, but simple pay itself, when we utilize, remember, we're shifting the funds the merchant's paying. The merchant's still paying the $2,200 in fees taken out on a daily discount, 
and the consumer's doing the non-cash adjustments. So the fees are still coming in. What we do is we take a portion of those future earnings and gift the merchant a cash infusion, which can be utilized in any manner they want. It's, uh, they may qualify, it's a may qualify up to $10,000 from Simple Pay and our partners in that realm. And it really is just a conversion of the fees and investing into that restaurant and that merchants for their survival. Yeah. And when you have an opportunity like that, that you're going to come in and you're going to offer a cash infusion, that merchant is going to be very sticky with you because they know that you're going to help them. That's yeah. what it's all about. In addition, um, we partnered with a national rewards network. They have like 20 some odd thousand, I mean, million uh, members, and they do what's called a pre-purchase. So mm -hmm. what they do is they drive consumers to the restaurant. You know, uh, they send uh, one to two consumers a week, so forth, so on. And what they do is they take a look at what is the volume so for my restaurant for instance they gifted us eighty six hundred dollars in the pre-purchase so i got that money up front and then they send one to two customers a week i get a hundred percent of those monies we still get it because it's all tracked via the credit card that registered with that member it's a very unique program so nothing really comes out of the restaurant except for, you know, getting fed consumers and new business. They get that infusion from Simple Pay. They get it from the rewards network. And it, the, the pre-purchase is paid back slowly. And there's no time frame or anything like that. Right. It's okay. a very unique program. That's wow. very unique. I've never heard, you know, I've always looked at like gift cards as a great way to sort of, you know, get a cash infusion right um, but this is a slightly different angle on that that's it's very interesting i've never heard of quite that type of program before one thing too and, I and, to... and it's all in content you know this is not something we made up you know this, right. this is something that is actually it's uh, out there operational yeah you know we have proof of the but what you have to do it's very meticulously done because there are four components to the whole program the cash infusion is just something that they can get up to $20,000 within 48 hours of signing with Simple Pay. In addition to it, there's all kinds of other opportunities we have with our direct marketing and the rewards network and, you know, our POS, if they were interested in that, you know, we even do a rental program and so forth. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think one thing that's super interesting about this is, you know, Patty and I have talked in uh, in the past on insiders uh, reports and questions in the field segments. We've talked about the idea of, you know, kind of going out there and purchasing accounts. You know, the idea of, hey, this restaurant needs a new point of sale system or this restaurant needs, you know, whatever it might be, you know, free terminals or whatever it is. And so, you know, hey, you should just go ahead and do this. Mm -hmm. and make the investment up front so you can get this this very profitable cash discount deal it's going to make you all this money and what you've done is really just simplified that concept to say yeah like actually go buy the account just give them the right. money right and like right. When, you, when you kind of gave it the, the you know when you when i talked to you about it we were working on the ebook and i know we touched on this there it was like 
stuff. Of course. What a great idea. Why is that? Why did anybody think of this? Of course, just right. give them some cash because they, because again, not only does it get you this really profitable long-term account, but they need the money right now. Right. And Absolutely. That and that makes them even stickier because you're helping them out with the money. Right? Absolutely. And, so, and what's bigger is you're, you become embedded in the community with the restaurants and you make a name for yourself. Yeah, and sure. The reputable opportunity. So then you, referrals come in because you helped the restaurant survive during the pandemic. Right, right. So are you seeing a lot of receptivity to it? I mean, it seems like a no brainer to me. It's basically free money and who's going to walk away from free money. But I'm trying to get a sense for, uh, you know, what's driving merchants to you for this? Are you are you marketing it to them? Or are they coming to you? How, does, how, how are you finding that to work and how receptive are they? Sure. So what we did is we were doing, uh, we had a, a three-week test program, a pilot program that we ran here locally because we have agents on the street and so forth. Uh-huh. So we have an internal marketing department that what we did is we took a look at different restaurants. We wanted to kind of target, you know, kind of the uh, small to medium-sized restaurants, you know, not really too large because then there's other issues that go on right. with that, if you will. But what we do is we we started making in, uh, calls and talking about business owners. And remind you, it's not a savings call. What we do is we're Simple Pay Restaurant Revitalization Committee, and we want to come in and help your restaurant with cash infusions and grants. We have a representative that can drop by tomorrow at 10 o'clock. How does that work for you? Mm-hmm. So it's a different opportunity. It's not, hey, Mr. Merchant, I'm going to save you 10, 20 right. base points. I'm actually going to infuse you with some needed capital. What mm-hmm. if they need to hire people, right? I know a lot of restaurants are struggling just to try to get re, re back open, if you will. Mm-hmm. And being closed for a few months gives internal problems. So the money can be used in any manner that they like. And that's mm-hmm. the beautiful part about it. So I love all of this. I, I think, you know, let's shift gears. And I really do want to get in and have some time left to talk about this last point because it's so important. So, you know, this idea of, okay, in your case, you have a restaurant paying $2,200 a month in fees. We switched them to cash discounting, which makes a very profitable account. We're able to use some of that profit to create a cash infusion up front, as well as connections with these other uh, you know, nationwide, uh, you know, institutions that you've worked with, rewards networks, et cetera. And so we're able to give them that cash infusion. Well, you know, that all makes sense. But then I think where a lot of our audience is maybe going to get lost and where they need a little more help is to understand, you know, right now, like you mentioned, it is a savings pitch. So they're saying, we're going to save you all this money. This is going to be cash flow positive, you know, over the long haul, because you're not going to pay processing fees anymore. But it, you're taking it one step further and saying, now let me show you what to do with that cash, right? right? So talk to us a little bit about this, you know, Ray, What what is the importance of, you know, helping the merchant understand that, you know, don't just save that 2,200 and put that in your account. You want to reinvest that into the business. Talk about that a little bit. So what we did, part of our marketing concept is when we go into a restaurant, we do a case study. So what we do, I'm sorry. We do kind of a, uh, a case study that goes into, and I'll send you guys this, you can put up, yeah, put it in the but it, it talks about their individual restaurant and overview, um, what they're missing in landing spots, if you will, 
in your interactions on social media or the lack thereof. Mm -hmm. And then we give suggestions of marketing what we can do. Maybe they don't have a website. Maybe they don't have online ordering. Or maybe they have them and they're not that good. So when we go in there, we're prepared and we point the merchant in a particular direction of what that money is going to do for them. So it's a very powerful, uh, it's, it's not a really a sale, if you will, but it's very convincing because it's a different philosophy. Again, we're not going in there to save money. We're going with a very precise scientific plan of action as is actually going to take, uh, actually goes in place in 72 hours once the merchant is, uh, is assigned with us. Wow. Now let's let's dive into this a little bit more because I can, you know, a lot of times I, I feel like I have a sense of like what our audience might be thinking and they're hearing this and they're saying, oh, great. Now I've, I'm going to have, I have a marketing agency. You know, I don't want a marketing agency. I sell credit card processing. I make a lot of money at that. Oh, yeah. Why would I do? Right. So talk to us about, okay, you know, uh, an agent that works with Simple Pay, you know, they, they get out of the field, they sign this restaurant up and then they convince the restaurant. Yes. I want to put that 2,200 a month back into marketing. Talk to us about what you're doing internally, how you're structuring this so that that salesperson can then move on and make the next sale versus trying to become a marketing expert. No, absolutely. Absolutely. The the case study was only very specific for the pilot program, really to kind of see which was the best way to do it. But of course, independent um, agents out there, and we have many of them, we needed something a little bit more viable because doing a case study is very specific, time consuming, right. et cetera. And, you know, that's not really everybody's cup of tea. As long as you stick to the fundamental parts of what the sale is, because you're not offering any money to the merchant in your talk, everything is a may qualify because mm-hmm. you have to bring documentation with to corporate here because we need to sure. analyze profitability. We need to see what they qualify for on the advanced purchase of the rewards network, so forth, so on. So the agent does not quote. It is may qualify. And then when we get the documentation, we give them, okay, this is what we can do for them, et cetera, et cetera, because we have all of the information. The rewards network needs to take a look at the processing in order to know what the idea of the volume is in order to see, you know, what kind of advance on the pre-purchase they can do with that. Mm-hmm. So it's a different sale, if you will, because you're you're quoting everything as a may. It's right. not I'm going to. Right, right. And so the idea is, if I think what I hear you saying is, the agent gets out there. Their job basically is to get you know what it always is: get the paperwork completed, right? Get the merchant to sign the agreement. Hey, we're going to do this program. We're going to get back to you with some final numbers on the the grants we're able to secure for you. We'll talk about what we can do on the marketing side. They send that into your office there into Simple Pay. Simple Pay then goes through their underwriting and does some additional analysis, comes back to the merchant and says, hey, here's what we can do. Here's the cash grants, that you, which I would imagine the cash grant is really the main uh, variable, right? I mean, obviously, right. you can always do the, the cash discounting and you can always do the marketing, I would assume. Right, right. The, it's vital to get the information so that we know, you know what we can offer them in terms of any type of grants and so forth. Yes. It's very uh, important. Uh, and any age, agent, we have both W-2, 1099 agents that are out there, and they have a variety of different ways of doing it. There's some that just go in cold and say, hey, I'm with Simple Pay Revitalization Community. Let yeah. me help you 
what does your restaurant need? That kind of a thing. Or you have the agents that, you know, they go and they, they pound the phone and make appointments. We have all this already wrapped up in. So any agent in any caliber can sell this product if you follow the process. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So uh, as we kind of wrap this up, right, let's zoom out a little bit and let's just talk for a minute. You know, all of these agents and ISOs, they're all going after their, you know, they have their vertical they're going after. They have their area of focus, right? Their area of expertise. Why should they look at restaurants right now? Frankly, a lot of them, I think, have kind of said, well, restaurants, you know, I don't know. They're, you know, right now the tip adjusts that that's harder on cash discount or uh, the, the pandemics hurt their volume or things of that nature. Why should they be passionate about going after the local restaurants in their market and, and going through a program like yours, you know, and really trying to be creative like this? What's your pitch to them of like, why should they care about this? I think the biggest thing is if an agent is truly out there wanting to do good, if you will, uh, I have to be that corny. <laughs> yeah, no, it's but, good. I like it. <laughs> but what it what it allows them to do is have an opportunity to be creative in a market that has shunned. I mean, you typically an agent wouldn't go and door knock on a restaurant because right. these these merchants are, you know, bothered 10, 20 times a week by phone calls and yeah. you know drop-ins and so forth, so on. And I mean, that's just our business, right? Right. But if the agent follows the plan, it's a success because why? The margin. Mm-hmm. We pay residuals, <laughs> right. you know, Obviously. the margins on cash discounting, if you think about 80,000 at 4%, I mean, that's a significant chunk. You're at what, $4,400 roughly, right? Right. 5,000, something like that. And we have great splits. So it's very important to build your portfolio in, in a proper manner that's going to be very sticky. You aren't going to have these people leave you because yeah. you gave them gave some them money that they needed at that particular time. Yeah, sure. I think that's the tie-in, honestly. Yeah. I that's agree. a great hook. It is. I would even add to that. I mean, I think, you know, it's always about change, right, Ray? It's like, you right. know, you want to be successful. What's changed? And then how are you going to leverage that change? And so even besides, you know, it's like, yes, you're doing good for the restaurant, of course, which is awesome. And then when we look at the business side for the ISO or the agent, somebody is going to be, you know, someone is going to have a huge cash discount portfolio of restaurants in your market in three years. Right. Who will it be? Right. Mm-hmm. If it's going to be mm-hmm. you, well, what is going to be your foot in the door? To your point, Ray, they are getting bombarded. Right. So how are you going to stand out? Well, you you have a unique opportunity right now where restaurants more than any time in the last decade, in my opinion, they need cash, they need mm-hmm. savings, they need marketing. And so it's like, making a creative approach like what you've done, I think is crucial to say, okay, I need to get my foot in the door and I need to go grab these accounts. It's almost a land grab opportunity because restaurants are sticky. When they sign up for payment processing, they stick around, they got this point of sale system they're using or whatever, these processes in place. They they are very, very sticky, I find. You know, restaurants in that 20,000 in volume to 150,000 in volume, those small to medium, they're very sticky and they're extremely profitable with cash discounting. So- Who's right. going to have that portfolio, you or somebody else? So I think it's a good time to, to jump into that. So Ray, before I have you give your contact information, let me give this link one more time. Uh, I really enjoyed working with Ray on this project and I really want our audience to check it out. Again, it's totally free. There's just no, there's no catches at all. It's just a free ebook. So you right. go to ccsalespro.com slash restaurant ebook to all spelled out, all lowercase, no dashes, no spaces, 
ccsalespro.com slash restaurant ebook. Um, and then Ray, for those that just want to reach out directly to you and your team to learn more about this opportunity and to learn more about what the restaurant revitalization program, uh, where would you send them to learn more? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would send an email to sales at ibpsimplepay.com. And that goes to my dedicated team. And we will be um, glad to share our insight and our processes. And just think, yes, this is a different philosophy. This is a different terminology. And it's a different way of going in because you are truly helping a particular battled industry that is very desperate for help right now. And you can be their savior, if you will. And that's, I think, the very different environment that we have right now and the opportunity of what we can actually, quote, help the merchant. And I think it's a different philosophy because we're not going in there, again, saving money. We're we're here to help you, give you cash. We're here to give you uh, direction of what you're missing. We're here to increase your sales, make you more money. And that's a different philosophy what payment professionals actually really don't do. And now, Ray, give us that email address one more time, if you would. Sales at ibpsimplepay.com. Awesome. Ray, such great information and insights. I appreciate you working with me on the ebook, and I appreciate the podcast today taking the time. So thank you again for sharing all that with our audience today. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's going to be something phenomenal that's going to hit the industry uh, upside the head because it's a different philosophy. Yeah, I agree. I think if people just really take hold of it, digest it, understand it, that's the beautiful part of it. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be a benefit for our industry overall. And I very much appreciate you guys having me as well. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. So NMI is our sponsor for the podcast. And today I want to talk about shopping cart integration. Um, Ooh, yeah, good stuff. You know, Patty, this is one of these things that kind of gets pushed in the background in our industry. Mm-hmm. We don't think about it very much. But right. behind the scenes, NMI has been just ferociously going after every single shopping cart provider. Mm-hmm. and making sure that they have a native integration. Right. Um, and so odds are, one of the things I love about NMI is that if you're out there selling a business and they have a website, mm-hmm. many of them, even if it's a WordPress website, many of them are selling things online now. You know, They've got right. something that they're selling online. Well, guess what? Odds are NMI is going to integrate with that shopping cart. Um, mm-hmm. And they're even going to allow these shopping carts to integrate things like you know, non-cash adjustments, service fees, um, mm-hmm. other things along those lines, and really be very creative when it comes to how they're using the gateway. They've got so much cutting-edge technology with kind of even mobile shopping experiences and omni-channel. So I really want to point this out because if you're selling merchants today and you need to have a solution where you can add an integration to a shopping cart easily, mm-hmm. you definitely need to check it out. You can go to ccsalespro.com slash n. M-I, ccsalespro.com slash N-M-I. Just fill out that little form there, request additional information, and they will follow up with you. Yeah, good stuff, James. Thanks. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you are an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field 
with James Shepard. Well, Patty, today I'm going to talk about a popular topic, uh, cash discounting and surcharging compliance. Um, so, yeah, I'm really thinking about this because of um, a lot of consulting conversations I've had lately. Um, and then also in our Facebook group, we've had a few posts lately that were some of them almost comical. Uh, right. you know, some newer agents, ask, you know, realizing things and asking things where a lot of the members in the group are like, seriously, you know, really? I know I saw a few of those. <laughs> yeah. So I just thought eh, maybe it's a good time to uh, refocus and talk Refre- about that. and refresh people's memory because, you know, like you said, there's a lot of new folks out there. Yes. So ultimately, I'm going to talk about three key kind of concepts um, around cash discounting and surcharging compliance. Okay. Okay. So the first one I want to talk about, that is the the one that I think is going to play out long term, is the idea of free speech. Okay. Mm-hmm. So as we all know, free speech is a right that is guaranteed to us, um, and we all have the the right of free speech, right? It's, Under the Constitution, and it was reinforced as a right that businesses have by the Supreme Court several years back. Exactly. Right. And so when you say, well, James, how does, what does that matter for cash discounting and, and surcharging? Well, it matters a lot because right. ultimately when a merchant is communicating their pricing to the consumer, mm-hmm. that is a version of free speech, just like a newspaper article is free speech. Right. Um, it doesn't have to be speaking audibly. It's also the written word. It's a form of communication. And, and it's right. It's form of communication that's protected by the constitution. Yes. Yes. And so the idea here is, if we go back to the Expressions Hair Design case, right, where Expressions Hair Design, along with some other merchants, sued the Attorney General of New York because they said that the surcharge ban, where they were not allowed to surcharge in New York, that that was unconstitutional because it was telling them how they were able to communicate, and it was a violation of their free speech rights. Right. Well, we see what happened in that case is that, you know, unanimously... Uh, that was upheld. And the idea was, yes, that surcharge ban is unconstitutional per the Supreme Court. It was then that ruling that led to Florida, Texas, California, and others that uh, got rid of their surcharge ban. And if I can just make one one point there, James, too, is the reason it was over, overturned is because New York and many of these other states said, no, you can't, you can't surcharge people, but you can give them discounts if they use another form of payment. Right. And that's where it came in as the state law was dictating how they communicated their price. Exactly. So they said, you can communicate it this way, but you can't right. communicate it, communicate this it way. that way. Right. Exactly. And, yeah. and so, so we see this free speech. One other point I want to make about this is when you look at all of these different laws and these different, you know, uh, court cases and all that, um, the concept of debit cards versus credit cards is mm-hmm. either not mentioned or just mentioned in passing. Right. And so as far as the, the courts are concerned, this concept of free speech means you can communicate your price however you want. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if it's a debit card or a credit card. That's irrelevant. It's, that's, not, that's not something right. to say, well, you can't add this fee to a debit card. Well, that's not from the courts. That's not from you know laws or you know these right. bans that have been lifted that's had nothing to do or very little to do with debit versus credit it's just a matter of the merchant can do whatever pricing they want and they can communicate it any way they want that's their free speech right okay right so that's number one number two let's talk about visa rules okay Good point yes so visa has a 
contract with a merchant. And so, you know, just like I could sign a non-disclosure agreement mm-hmm. and say, I am, you know, voluntarily giving up my right to free speech in a certain area as it relates to this company, because I'm signing a document that says, I am not going to talk, I'm not going to share privileged information, right. whatever this non-disclosure agreement um, sure. you know, mentions. Well, in that same way, merchants have been signing merchant agreements for years. Those on their podcast know because they have the agent sign or they have the merchant sign these agreements. Mm -hmm. And part of those agreements are the merchant agreeing to Visa MasterCard rules. Right. Well, part of their rules are these surcharge rules. Right. Now, contrary to popular sentiment in the industry today, this idea that, oh, Visa MasterCard, they're against cash discounting, but they love surcharging. No, they no, don't. They just had to, they had to relent. <laughs> yes. They reluctantly were forced into a settlement where they allowed surcharging. And in that trade-off, they had certain rules in place. And these rules right. were, you can surcharge credit cards, but you can't surcharge debit cards. And you can only go to 4%. And they had all these other rules. Okay. Right. Right. So this is Visa rules and merchants have voluntarily signed contracts with Visa to say, we will abide by these rules. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's number two. That is where all of the compliance stuff comes in. You'll hear people say, well, that's right. not compliant. Right. Very rarely do they mean that it's not compliant with state law. Correct. And that could be the case in some states with certain programs. But generally when people say that's not compliant, what they mean is you're not in compliance with Visa rules. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we have these two things, this this concept of free speech, and then we have visa rules that are in a way limiting free speech, but the merchant is doing so voluntarily. Right. Well, then we have to put this third piece of the puzzle in place, this third kind of leg on the tripod, we could say, and that is the Durban Amendment. Mm -hmm. So the Durban Amendment came along, and it's important to understand the context of the Durban Amendment. The Durban Amendment created by Senator Dick Durban as part of the Dodd-Frank Financial Reform Act you know, what is the Durban Amendment actually known for doing primarily? Well, regulating debit. Right, regulating debit card fees, sure. Yeah. So the idea is we have these two behemoth kind of lobbying groups battling at this point in, in time in history when this was created. We have the banks and the card brands that are saying, we don't want interchange regulated because that's what's happened in every other country. And now their revenues have gone way, way down. They've dropped by 80% in some cases. Right. So they're like, we don't want regulation. So they're lobbying to say, don't regulate interchange. Mm-hmm. Then on the other side, we have Walmart, we have, uh, you know, uh, Walgreens, Target, we have all, all the know, large mer- merchant retail groups like NRF and NRMA and all of those, right? Uh, so, grocers. Yeah. So they're all lobbying on the other side saying, regulate all of interchange and just, you know, dr- dramatically cut these fees because we can't afford to pay these. And this right. is not, you know, competitive with the rest of the world. So we want to regulate it. So what's under, important to understand is that the Durban Amendment represents a compromise between right. sides, right? right? One right. compromise that, Patty, you've mentioned in the Insiders Report several times is that the, the you know, recommended rate for debit card transactions, I think, what was it, 11 cents and five basis points or something? And something yeah originally right mm-hmm. and it ended up being 22 cents right why is that well because of the the compromise they had to make the banks yeah. happy and they had to make the retailers happy um well here's one of the other compromises that people don't seem to understand the connection point is that they did not regulate credit card transactions so they didn't right. regulate and they didn't regulate debit as far down as people wanted and they also you know limited debit card regulation only to the largest issuers yes 
Yes. Uh, you know, so there are thousands of banks and credit unions that are not regulated right. in terms of debit. Right. So yeah. they had all of these things on the one side of the equation, which is what the banks wanted. Mm-hmm. So what are they going to give the merchants? Well, what they gave the merchants, number one, is they did cut the cost of debit significantly on right. an average. But they also said, we need to give the retailers, the merchants, we need to give them protection to allow them to make their own pricing to be Mm -hmm. able to pass these costs on to the consumer if they want. And we Mm -hmm. need to protect them from retaliation by the card brands and and things of that nature and agreements that are already in place. And so when you read, I should have had it pulled up here, but I'll give you the, the James version here. I may be a little off on the wording, but when you read the very beginning of the Durban Amendment, the section on cash disc on, on I shouldn't say cash discounting, the section on discounting and in-kind incentives. Incentives, is, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it says specifically there that the card brands may not, through their agreements, mm-hmm. inhibit any person from offering a discount or an in-kind incentive for the use of any payment method. Correct. When you read that, clearly the intent was to say, hey. We gave MasterCard and the big banks some things that they wanted. We did not regulate credit cards. We didn't regulate debit as low as it should have been. And so we also are going to give the merchants some things that they want, which Mm -hmm. is the ability to exercise their free speech. And it specifically mentions the card brand's agreement with the merchant. Right. It mentions that specifically there to nullify the effects of those previous ones. Right. To say, look, you have an agreement right now that says you can't do some of these things, that the card brands are, are inhibiting you from doing them. And we're telling you that those don't apply anymore. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. so that is the third leg of it. Now, there's a lot of controversy around what the Durban Amendment you know, meant. Um, you know, They go on to define the discount as a discount from what consumers are informed is the regular price. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say how they're informed. So Correct. As you know, somebody who's not an attorney or a legal professional, you know, um, as I talk to others who are, my personal opinion is that that means you can inform them with a sign. You can say our regular price includes a four percent non-cash adjustment, um, but we offer a discount when you pay with cash. Um, or others, including myself, would even say that even if it's not a cash discount, it can be an in-kind incentive. We are through the non-cash adjustment, we're incentivizing people to use cash. Um, which is also protected. Sadly, it wasn't defined in that document what an in-kind incentive was. But I think the spirit of it is pretty clear, which is the Durban Amendment was saying, we're throwing a bone to merchants, to retailers, Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. business owners to say, look, exercise your free speech and don't let the agreement stop you from doing that. Yes. You have the ability to exercise your free speech and to pass the cost on to consumers in whatever way you see fit. They did, however, say, as long as you're in compliance with state law, Right. Mm-hmm, right. So we have to keep state law in mind. But again, these state We're laws, to, and they don't really talk about debit versus credit. That's exactly. And there's only what, maybe two or three state laws that still specifically. Yes. Um, Massachusetts being the, the most stringent of them. Right. Um, right. But yeah, so there are still a few state laws out there. But by and large, most of the surcharge bans have been lifted and they've mm-hmm. been lifted in a way that didn't mention debit versus credit at all. At and so all. when we zoom out of this, OK, it's like, OK. You know, is my program compliant? That's the question I get the most. Is our cash discount program compliant? And I always mm-hmm. respond, compliant with who? Right. You're asking me, is it compliant with Visa rules? Probably not. If you're doing a non-cash adjustment program and you're adding a fee to debit and prepaid cards, probably not compliant with Visa rules. So the the idea here is not the argument isn't we have a program that's compliant with Visa rules. The argument is we have a program compliant with the Durban Amendment. 
Mm-hmm. And under the Durban Amendment, it specifically states that we don't have to worry about the visa agreement right. and the right. clauses that would inhibit us from doing this because we were freed from that with the Durban Amendment. And and we've also been freed, uh, you know, depending on what state you're you're in, you've also been freed under state law to do this. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that's a really, really important thing to understand these three different legs and how they relate. So hopefully that will drive a little bit more awareness uh, in the industry of these three things and how they relate. And, and again, I, you know, I could be wrong about things. There's definitely people that disagree with one or more of the points I just made, but I wanted to try to give as much of an impartial version as I could of these are the three things that matter. There are the court cases that right. establish free speech for the merchants. There's the visa rules that say you can only add a surcharge to credit cards, not debit and prepaid. And then there's the Durban Amendment that supersedes the visa rules as long as you're within the guidelines of state uh, laws and regulations. Right. So that's compliance in a nutshell, and uh, it's a complicated topic. I, you know, I'm glad it is because I get paid a fortune to uh, consult companies all day on how to navigate it and how to deal with compliance complaints and everything else. But um, I, at the end of the day, uh, we haven't seen Visa take action. I'm not aware of Visa taking any kind I'm of not. significant action um, right. against these programs, and I think the reason is clear. The Durban Amendment says hands off, and they've largely right. remained hands off. Yeah, I think the only, yeah, the only. Uh, it, uh, exception to that was something we mentioned a few weeks back about the visa letter to the Florida merchant, I believe it was, yeah. telling them that they were surcharging when in fact they weren't right. surcharging and right. and they or, were and know, claiming you know, that state law forbid right. it, which it didn't. Well, and even that, what's interesting, Patty, is even that is is in a lot of ways a scare tactic, in my opinion, because oh yeah, you know, make no mistake about it. I mean, I know large ISOs that get 20 or 30 of those a day, not that specific one about the surcharging, but just mm-hmm. the one saying you're you're adding a surcharge to debit with the non-cash adjustment program. But if they respond to those in, in an appropriate way, it's Visa's not taking action past that. So they're kind of sending this out saying, hey, this program is in violation of our rules. We're letting you know. And it's like, right. thanks for letting me know. But Here's the, the rules response. don't count. <laughs> yeah, here's the response that says we're in compliance with the Durban Amendment. So, you know, and they're, it's not like they're going to court. Why? Because, again, think of you got to play it out, right? If Visa takes mm-hmm. us to court, if they try to start shutting merchants down, they're going to get a class action lawsuit. Yeah, of course. And they are absolutely going to lose. They're going to lose. They're gonna lose. It's, already, it's already happened. They've already. So anyway, but there you go. So there's your there's your questions in the field for the day. Good stuff, James. Thanks. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. Well, everybody, I know it's only September and we're not really thinking about the year-end Christmas, Hanukkah at all holidays, but retailers are. So I thought I would uh, share with you some report, new reporting out of MasterCard and Fiserv, both of which uh, show strong uh, consumer spending trends uh, this year. In fact, holiday sales are expected to build, uh, you know, building on like that pent-up spending that we've all had. Um, and government stimulus money, it's going to really ratchet up. Um, in August, just to sort of lay the background, in August, U.S. retail sales, excluding automotive and gas, grew 8.1% year over year and 7.7% over August 2019, according to MasterCard. Wow. Um, 
And uh, online sales were up over 8% in, um, over 2020 um, and a whopping 82% over 2019. Wow. And yeah, I thought that was really, and I also thought the key markets uh, where they saw a lot of spending was in apparel, which was up 75%, mm. electronics, which was up about 12%, and department stores up uh, 29%. Mm. Now, looking ahead to the holiday season, or what MasterCard now calls the 75 days of Christmas, um, uh, it expects you know early shopping, bigger price tags, and more digital experiences. Pfizer mm. research is similar. It shows that about one in four consumers plans to spend more money this holiday shopping season than they did in 2020. And not just on gifts, but gift cards as well. Mm. Um, and it's interestingly, about two thirds of consumers told Pfizer that they plan to um, return to shopping at brick and mortar stores, mm. which I think is you know good news as well. Um, over the last six months, luxury retail and uh, jewelry sectors have had some of the strongest year-over-year -year growth and two-year growth, and that's going to continue through the holiday season. Also, we're going to see a lot more um, momentum in these new buying scenarios that we've talked a lot about, like buy online, pick up in store, and other contactless experiences. Right. Um, overall, this holiday season, U.S. retail sales are expected to grow about 7.4%. Online spending about seven six point six percent, and in store about six point six percent, all compared to twenty twenty. Huh. Um, and Mastercard collects this data on something called Spending Pulse, which measures overall retail sales across all payment types, not just cards but cash and checks as well. Hmm. And uh, here's some of the biggest sales increases that are expected between. You know, the 75 days of Christmas is October 11th to December 24th. So it's not that far away, the start. Sure. Um, apparel is expected to jump 45% over 2020 and 16% over 2019. Department stores, 14% and 4.7% over 2019. Electronics, almost 12% over last year and uh, just over 17% over 2020. Jewelry, which really shocked me, um, 60% and 54%. Wow, really? Yeah, yeah. People are going out buying, I guess they're buying their engagement rings. I don't know. But I, don't I mean, know. a lot of spending on jewelry. My, my wife just bought me a new, oh, so I don't have it on right now. My wife just bought me a new watch. So I guess, you know. Oh, well, that's part of it, I bet. Trend, I guess, I don't know. And then luxury, excluding jewelry, is going to be up over 90%. Um, you know, 90% over 2020 and 54% over 2019. Again, I think that's a lot of people, you know, they're, they're finally feeling comfortable. They're back to work. You know, right. they've, right. they've made it through the pandemic and right. they're splurging. Yeah. Hmm. But I think that's really good news for, uh, you know, for payment processing professionals. It means we're going to be ringing up a lot of sales. Yeah, absolutely. Might even might get that uh, year in bump that we, we always enjoy getting that uh, residual payment on, you know, usually it's March 1st. Right. Um, you get your January or your or you get your uh, February 1st for December. And, you know, so it's right. always nice getting the big uh, year in boost. So. Yeah. So I think you, I think people are going to see some nice boost beginning of next year. Awesome. Good stuff, Patty. Thanks for keeping us informed. Sure thing. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. 
Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.